Greetings fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension, you're listening to The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. I'm Mike, she's Emma, and we're joined by Shane Thomas. Hello sir. Evening. So, what we're doing in this episode is, uh, there's been uh, a couple of articles up on The Guardian's website, which uh, Shane brought to our attention, and um, Peter Capaldi's been going on a bit of a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> A bit of a verbal, uh, I wouldn't say rampage necessarily, but he has had words. He's spoken, you could, you might say, truth to the BBC. Mm. So, um, Shane, since you brought this to our attention, would you care to give us sort of the cliff notes? I, mean, I guess the gist of what he said, he was being interviewed by a, um, a, a kind of an offshoot of like Radio 1, which is the BBC radio um, station, which is meant to be aimed at young, quote-unquote, young people. Um, mm. And they have a you know a news section, which is a very abridged... Re- you know, <laughs> let's shall we say simplistic version of the news. Mm. Um, and he was being asked about the, um, the show, and Capaldi just said he was frustrated with how the sh- uh, show has been handled by the BBC. And I think he said, in as regards to Doctor Who, a lot of people just think that the BBC don't have to pay much attention to Doctor Who because that would take care of itself. Mm. Um, particularly, I think, in regards to the sh- uh, scheduling, its time slot, which hasn't really been a fixed time slot probably for about i'd say at least three years if not longer yeah i think that's probably accurate i'm trying to remember when was the last uh, series where it was consistent or maybe, maybe series five no not even that i'm trying to think i'm thinking back it definitely wasn't four mm. what about the half so, season i think the half season was quite that's because it was every three months so yeah, <laughs> it wasn't so yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that was fairly that was fairly consistent. But in terms of regular seasons, I don't think it's been on at this consistently the same time since. No, three wasn't even at the same time. We were watching that at different times. Might even be two. Wow. It might because I'm sure that with three, I mean, because I remember watching it at different times of the evening. Mm. Like sometimes I was eating my dinner while it was on. You know, sometimes I was running. I was hauling ass back from work on Saturday to get them to watch it. <laughs> you know, so it was yeah. like. It was all over the shop, even season three, I'm sure. Yeah, but I think uh, it's sort of like it been in recent years where the messing around of like the scheduling has been really very badly apparent. Because, I mean, I think there's been a few where, it's, where the show hasn't started till like half eight in the evening. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, not say, I mean, there, I mean, there have been times where it's been, I mean, I've watched it in daylight. Night time, <laughs> hot, cold, pissing down, mostly pissing down in rain, to be honest. But it seems to be a consistent thing that every time that they put it on, according to most people, it's the wrong time. Mm. So <laughs> they've just decided to tackle that problem by putting it on at every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the weird thing about the past couple of series that the show has, and I'm guessing this is a first, but you two would know, is actually gone past the watershed. Yeah. Yeah. Hadn't started past uh, after the 9pm watershed, but the show, we've gone past 9pm and the show in at its first viewing is still on because, you know, like you said, it started at half eight or whatever. And mm-hmm. it does, it does, um, like, I don't, like, not even to become a total, um, uh, to be t- totally dogmatic about it, but I don't really think Doctor Who should ever be on at a time where you could conceivably have swearing and or nudity. Yeah, mm. I think we should just briefly explain that the I think I don't think this is a universal thing at all. But in the oh. UK, um, we have a thing called the watershed, which came in. Oh, it must be when I was a youngster, so it's got to be about twenty years ago now. Mm-hmm. That basically there was too much, or it's felt there was too much sort of boobs and swears on when kids could see them. So sort of, sort of officially, unofficially, all the the main networks over here. So at the time, mostly when not a lot of people had satellite really. Um, so we're talking BBC One, Two, ITV, Channel Four, and then when Channel Five came in, Channel Five as well. That uh, once the clocks turned over to nine o'clock, that's when you could have the the boobs and swears on. And then before that, it was not. So I mean, it used to be when the watershed first came in, you could literally sit and you know one minute past nine, boobs, 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 boobs. You know, so because people were really like, you know, let's get people on to watch all this sort of more racy stuff at nine o'clock. Now it's much more calmed down, but. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how it was then. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I mean, um, I mean, when I was a kid, way back when, we're talking now, um, until I was, I want to say, 10, my bedtime was half past seven. Yeah. And there was no two ways about that. Oh, no. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> um, so if I was uh, a kid now, I would be missing a lot of Doctor Who when mm-hmm. it was on. Even on Saturdays? Even, even on Saturdays. 
even on Sundays. This is look. This well, is Sundays, fun. Like, my, school the next. Yeah, I know. But no, even Friday night, Saturday night, until I was, you know, like sort of twelve, thirteen, and then we were allowed to stay out a bit. Um, but um, yeah, my mum was very, my mum's very strict about that sort of thing. This is a woman who, when I had to have my tonsils out, they said you have two weeks off school, and I was like, yes, right. And my mum scheduled it because um, in such a way that one week was school and one week of it was half term, so I only oh. missed a week of school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not even so much a value judgment um, on your mother's parenting style, but more yeah. um, you are kind of. I mean, I'm sure you weren't the only. Uh, a child in the country that had a similar bedtime and no but i mean maybe, those... maybe even on weekends but it is kind of counterproductive when you're scheduling a show that is not solely for children but children have to be your fan base yeah and you're scheduling mm-hmm. it at a time um i mean without going in a batman superman rant um it's like it, it's kind of like scheduling something that kids can watch but you're making it very tough for them to get on board of it for different reasons um, yeah, but mm-hmm. ultimately, you like with Batman and Superman or the Marvel movies, your base has to be children. Well, I, I think yourselves the next generation of fans. If you yeah, stop, I mean that's your next generation of fans. If yeah, you stop enticing children, then there is a you are basically turning the over the hourglass of when this time runs out on this show. Mm. I mean, I think there's something to be said. I think that there must be some sort of thought that. The, the middle-aged nerve demographic is gonna is gonna kind of keep the, the ones that have money to spend disposable income are the ones who are going to keep things afloat hmm. whereas you know it's it, that's a pretty short-term a, a sort of look at how the show's gonna stay alive like shane says it's incumbent on young fans taking over from old essentially the, the next generation of fandom has to come in Whereas they're like, well, if we stick it on at any time, mm-hmm. you know, the, if the kids are in bed, they can, you know, we can all watch it on iPlayer. And, you know, the the ones who buy merchandise are still up. I mean, I think that the issue with um, that Peter Capaldi's getting here, which he didn't say, um, mm. and maybe he doesn't think this, but I did, this was kind of set the alarm bells ringing when I read this, is that because of the nature of the show, what we're really worried about isn't that the shows maybe mess up the schedules. We're worried about the show's future, mm-hmm, as in yeah. the show existing at all. I mean, for a number of reasons, but um, the main one uh, I, I've always thought with Doctor Who is, and not just because of the past that it did get taken off, but it's not really. It's, I mean, it's 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 a mainstream show, mm-hmm. but it's it's really an outsider show at the same time. As, as mainstream as it is like you you're more likely to find um if you did a straw poll on the street i don't know how many people would say they watch the show or would admit to watching the show and any conversation any conversation i've normally heard about it in public places when you're not around fans specifically around fans who tend to coalesce together has normally been in taking the piss out of it mm-hmm. um like in a this is years ago in a place i used to work this girl on a bank of desks different department to mine she had a Rivers, uh, well, almost Rivers catchphrase, hello, sweet, is a ringtone. <laughs> and it went up in the office. And you could see how embarrassed she was because she obviously forgot to put her phone on silent. Um, and everyone else in the bank of desks clearly had no idea what that was and, just, and were kind of quizzically like, what's going on with that? And she kind of fudged. I mean, she, she didn't lie what it was, mm-hmm. but she kind of fudged the explanation, didn't say it with any pride. Not that she's embarrassed to be a Doctor Who fan, but I'm, I'm guessing she hadn't told her colleagues that. Mm. Yeah. In case, in case of a look, they're not interested, so why am I going to waste my time? And also, now I have to explain to them, and now they know that I'm a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Kind of thing. She's not in that department anymore. <laughs> I, I don't know if those things are related. They're probably not. <laughs> um, but in terms of the show, it, in terms of the show itself, is that as successful as it is, I don't think it's a show that everyone in the BBC are particularly proud. proud mm. Um, It's not. It's not what the BBC does. It's not more important. It's not what British television does. No. Because, I mean, it's like, um, there's really not that much, like, sci-fi, especially not, like, British-made sci-fi these days. I mean, yeah, you had, like, the Blake Sevens and what have you, and, you know, Thunderbirds and all that before that. But it's, it's like, it's not to the scale of, like, what America does. No, I mean, what, what we do... I think is people think in this country is costume drama mm-hmm. or kitchen or kitchen sink drama. 
yeah. Gritty, gritty stuff about about working class folk normally in the north. Um, yeah. And there's nothing against those stories, no. but that's like, but that, yeah, or clear costume, Downton Abbey and all that bollocks, um, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. That's that's what Britain does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I think America likes it as well. I think that's how the rest of the world sees us. But kind of um, ambitious, um, big fantasy, oh, all the Americans do that. Hmm. That that's not that's not that's not an, that's not an English thing. It's almost uh, we're getting ideas above our station. And if you and anyone who knows the history of Doctor Who or who saw the um, what is it, Adventure in Time and Space drama, mm-hmm. yeah, that was on before and like the season of the for the fiftieth episode that docudrama of how the show was created. The show wasn't created by the establishment at all. The three no. you know main people behind the show were what, a Canadian. A guy from Canada, mm-hmm. a woman, mm-hmm. and uh, what an Asian man was an Asian gay guy as well. Yeah, yeah he's gay. Yeah, yeah. It was an Asian, oh, an Asian gay guy in what the nineteen sixties. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is anything but the. I mean, and I mean, none of them were like were necessarily in the outskirts in terms of class, but that's hardly the British establishment. No. So the show by nature mm-hmm. is quite something of an outsider show. Yeah, I mean, and it also is an adventure in space and time show that um, even after like the first serial, the higher ups in the BBC were saying, no, we want this gone. And it wasn't until the Daleks came in and the show got its 10 million viewers that they went, oh, OK. But even then, sort of, you know, as we all know, as time went on, the BBC just sort of like it just sort of like coasted. Really, it wasn't until like the 80s or so, I think, when, until like the the disinterest set in because obviously that even then it started to get uh, bounced around the shoulders it moved from its saturday night slot i mean it was during i think it was it was it peter davison's yeah it was yeah it ended up being going out i think it was like monday and tuesday nights well, no, it, it, it's like tu- i want to say probably thinking tuesday thursday or something like that it was weird it was like midweek mm-hmm. definitely right yeah but it was like so i think you had a four-part story you know, you won't wait until the next week to find out what happens, you know, how the cliffhanger gets resolved. You sort of had to wait a couple of days, you know. So even then, it was a bit weird. And then, of course, the BBC started channeling against Coronation Street. And I think that was the real concerted effort to try and kill it off. Yeah, but I mean, but that was that was preceded, like you say, by, I would say, a solid five or six years of real malaise as far mm. as, the, as the show went. And that was... I don't think um, from just from the BBC. I think there's probably some there's probably some blame to be shouldered in the BBC in the Doctor Who making department as well for that. Mm. I think, but um, yeah, it it was the, the. I mean, and at this point, you have to remember that by that when Peter Davison turned up, I mean the show had been on solidly for over twenty years, mm-hmm. and it had really got into that rut of. Like, you know, this is the way we do it. You know, it was that kind of the, the churn of doing things had set in. Mm-hmm. And to say, coming off an immensely popular doctor who was there for so long. Yeah. It was kind of that double-edged sword of you get that reliability of someone who's been there forever. Mm-hmm. Versus when they go, it it kind of, it leaves a void that I think arguably the doctors sit five through seven unsuccessfully tried to to fill and it just sort of the the rock kind of set in unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a case of as well i think um like like all you quite rightly say it was a thing of i think that this idea that the bbc didn't do this sort of thing it was it's always been this perception that sci-fi is kind of lowest common denominator it's popular and it's like a it's not only just a kids thing but it's kind of like um it has this perso- this this feel, I think, in in television circles of being too popularist. Well, you could also just imagine um, as well uh, people in the corridors of the BBC, kind of almost huffing, like thinking stuff and nonsense about <laughs> um, about the show. And even today, I mean, it might, this might seem particularly weird for the international listeners talking about worrying about the future of the show when. Um, I mean, we probably need Rick on to ask because you'd have the best idea for anyone. But globally, I don't think the show's maybe ever been more popular. But mm. in terms, in terms of its set, the people who work in the BBC are not um, necessarily representative 
of the type of people who watch shows like Doctor Who. I mean, because I, years ago now, I very briefly worked in the old television centre at the BBC, not the current place, mm-hmm. but the old classic television centre where they made all those shows before it got knocked down yeah. a few years ago. And I kind of thought this walking in, and I think a lot of people think this about the BBC because it's a grand, august institution. That it's almost like if you go to work on Google or Apple, somewhere like that, you almost walk in and the creativity is bouncing off the walls and you feel you almost you feel like almost the history of uh, of all the people who have worked here and all the stuff that's been made here. And you walk in and it's just like a very big, slightly staid, um, sterile building of lots of people in suits trying lots of primarily white people in suits trying not to get fired more than anything else um it's not it's a kind of almost like just a very big law firm um, <laughs> or, or, or a big or a big accountancy firm mm. more it's than a big accountancy firm more than it is anything else yeah, yeah more than a high more than a hive of creativity i mean aren't creative people working there of course well i mean it's, it's it, like this sort it's, of it's, yeah, the office thing it's isn't like, it? oh, it's a bit like oz it's a bit like you know when you've seen behind the curtain of oz yeah, hmm. it's, it's yeah, nothing oh, the, like it. The wizard's just some guy. Yeah, but it's like it reminds me of those offices I used to when I lived in London. Offices I used to walk by, and I remember especially there was one near where I used to work in town. There was an office that had a slide in it, and part of you goes, "Oh, that must be awesome," but then you probably think that office is probably terrible because they've got when they get in there, they're always like you know, poor some poor wide-eyed kid off the street, like come and work at his office. It's so fun and cool. Look, we've got a slide, and then they're there for five minutes, and they want to kill themselves because it's so awful. It's a bit like that. It's but I think that's with the, if you work in any job that seems glamorous like that or exciting, it's really incredibly boring. <laughs> um, yeah. So the BBC is in, in you know maybe we're we're crushing some dreams for people, particularly international people. Think of the BBC as um. Because it because it is still a validation of high quality, hmm. as a just as a brand. But it's not a from everything you know I've seen and just stuff that we've heard as well. It's not an organisation that is necessarily conducive. It doesn't look at Doctor Who and think this is one of our um, this is like a powerhouse of our um, of our programming. Um, this is, I mean, Peter Capaldi said it's like they don't. Um, you know, they, they they just think it's looking after itself. It's like, oh, you've got the Doctor Who thing, and we're just we don't we're not even thinking about it. We're thinking about what we're going to do with the next series of Strictly Come Dancing, which is Dancing with the Stars um, abroad, or what we're going to do with Pointless, or what we're going to do with, even with Sherlock. Um, mm. What we're going to do with you know that show, that show. Not a lot of thought going into what. Um, okay, so where do we see Doctor Who in five years' time? Um, I mean, I and I I kind of wish there were more of these stuff um, like. Either behind the scenes documentaries or even books. I would love Moff, Moff, now that Moffat's going. It's like I hope he doesn't sign some kind of non-disclosure agreement. I want to know some of the shit that went happen behind the scenes because I imagine part of why he left and part of why RTD left and why they both eventually got burnt out and why Chris Chibnall will get burnt out at some point is just having to. Moffat said in an interview once. I think he was he was in um, America doing Comic Con. He was got interviewed by someone and he said almost the most difficult thing about his job was finding time to write mm. that's his job that's the main part of what he does yeah and that's the most difficult part of finding the time to do that and you're like how much external shit are you having to deal with and how many other stuff you have to juggle well, he's exec produce so i know you've got you have like tone meetings and conversations about locations and obviously casting and the rest of that mm. um and, but to find the time to actually create the story for us to watch i found that I found that staggering. I'm, I'm pretty sure the same must have been true for Davis. And I would kind of love to know the external um, shit and maybe stuff of standards and practices and, and of budgets. That must be a massive thing as well. Mm-hmm. All of that external stuff you have to deal with just to get episodes out, which sometimes we rip to shreds. And I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't if it's, it's terrible. We don't. We won't know the full story of what went behind creating the episode, or like an episode like Nightmare and Silver. Mm. Look, look. Oh, Neil Gaiman knows. Look, I don't care if they'll never make it publicly, but Neil Gaiman knows the episode's terrible. And Stephen mm. Moffat knows the episode's terrible, and the people who worked on that, the director and the producers, I mean, Marcus Wilson is the main producer, isn't he? He knows it's mm. a terrible episode. But no, they, no one set out to make a terrible episode. I'd love. I would kind of almost love, almost off the record, just to know. Okay, what happened? What went wrong? Because mm. you you probably had a really good idea at first, 
and it absolutely went to shit when it was being made. Um, yeah. What happened? And I bet there'll be some reason. Some of it might be, yeah, we made bad creative choices, but I'm sure there's some other stuff where you're like, oh, well, you know what, I empathize. And, but, like, if I was in a situation, I probably couldn't have done anything either. Um, so we're, we're kind of... Well, the reason we're talking about this is to try and put into some context where the show stands in relation to the BBC because there is that constant worry that this is great and this is a fun ride and mm-hmm. you know the show's on and it's been on for a what what we hit but we hit 11 years now since it's mm-hmm. come back mm-hmm. yeah yeah and like we said it's like it's globally popular they, whenever they go comic con then they get a raucous reception and the symbol cast for the 50th not mm-hmm. the biggest cast in history i yep. think one of them in history and yet you're waiting for the other shooter drop mm-hmm. you're just waiting you're just waiting because the person in charge of the BBC director general I don't even know who it is right now but it's not someone I mean the guy who was in charge of the night is John Burr I think he was there for a long while like maybe double almost double digits but normally it's almost like a presidential term a director general is not there for much longer than five years give or take so you wonder on that conveyor belt that a director general is going to come in and be like look at Doctor Who like Michael Gray did in the 80s and be like torpedo this to do what to do what our government are doing with the NHS, not immediately, not you're, you're cancelled, but just bit by bit, um, start the bloodletting. Mm. So I've, I'm, I'm sort of of the opinion that, I'm, 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 as much as you hate to say it, and as bleak as this may sound, over a long enough a timeline, everything's chance survival drops to zero. Yeah, yeah. The, the fight club. So yeah, so it's it's that case of. I think that it's that sort of British thing of we've been getting away with it for all this time. <laughs> We're going to be getting away with it for a bit longer still, you know, and it will be all right. And, but I think that older Doctor Who fans, especially people who lived through the Into Who years, so the period between 89 and 05, the whole run up to 89, it felt like there was there was a conspiracy in the BBC to shut this show down. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's not paranoia if they're out to get you. And I think that it's difficult for fans of that age who, you know, do make up a lot of the buying power of this show, whether they the BBC want to acknowledge that or not. Unfortunately, I think that every, every turn they will see any development in the show as ultimately negative and something that's going to bring about the show's demise. And I think there's a bit of a bit of a need, not even that big a niche of, um, of people online, especially who are sort of, Almost joyfully predicting the show's demise, so could they say, could say they said it first? But yeah. Um, yeah, it's that kind. There is that kind of feeling that within, I think, within fan, not even with the most sort of basement dwelling neckbeards, but now even sort of coming up and percolating through more mainstream fandom, that the other shoe, like you say, Shane, is about to drop. I mean, because as well, if you're if you're a BBC executive who's looking. You know, at Moffat joints, so say we've got Doctor Who, well, until, you know, until the end of the year, and Sherlock, Mm -hmm. and you're saying, well, the Sherlock fans are right with one show a year, Mm. you know, and it costs us far less, so surely, why do the Doctor Who fans get 13 shows a year? Uh, Yeah, Mm. like we said, it's a big accountancy firm, and I believe you both said on the show repeatedly, they didn't actually cancel the the show last time. They just no, stopped they making just it. Stopped, stopped and they did it, it in a really slightly underhanded, um, surreptitious, snide way. They didn't even have the courage to say, you know what, We'd, we we want to go another way. Hmm. They just kind of, they just, um, just we're not going to stop making them and just everyone, hopefully everyone forgets. Yeah, well, it's not cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that'll be slightly tougher to do now just because of social media. Um, hmm. Just because, I mean, it, that would be trending if that had happened. Then eventually that kind of stuff would be trending and there'd be you know, change.org petitions and I'm not saying it won't work but mm. you, you'd have to do it in a slightly different way um, I mean the way it might happen and I already mentioned government the NHS is that talking about the BBC again you have to understand the, the unique way the BBC is funded and its relation to the government particularly whichever party is in government and at the time of recording you know we have um, a conservative party who are running the show and the culture secretary John Whittendale has been putting together a package of sorts um, in terms of investigating the BBC's charter and what, I mean, essentially how how much money they plan to give the BBC and whether they should give the BBC anything. 
Um, mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, but luckily it's turned out the last sort of day that he's been shagging a dominatrix. So it's because yeah, he's, he's been in, yeah. he's been in the news for different reasons. Yeah, but because he's a Tory boy, and apparently that's what they have to do. Mm. I think no, I think I think the one that got caught the sex worker in the coke. I think he actually was Labour, that Lloyd. So no, it's, it's, no, it, to be fair, it's, most of them went to the same schools. Okay. Yeah, here so, we go again. It, yeah, it's not, not pigs heads. Um, yeah, yeah, pigs heads. The rest of it. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you have you have a party in power that have pretty much since Thatcher, maybe even before, have been trying to see how can we take the money away because they believe their um, economic ideology. And by the way, this, this isn't smart business. This isn't kind of, oh, it's just smart business. This is an ideology, and I wish they'd just come out and admit it, mm-hmm. that everything, everything should be free market and everything should be privatized and nothing should be... St- and as little um, stuff... Um, we want the state to own as little as possible. So everything should be privatized and we should just let them it's the let the market decide you have the same same um, mindset that caused almost the, the world's finances to break <laughs> yeah uh, at um what 2007 2008 so yeah, yeah. almost a decade ago um it's that mindset so it's a way of how can we sell it off there's a very good i don't know if you're able to splice this in at some point mike but there's a mm-hmm. great old uh, clip from an old sketch show called spitting image um back in the 80s where thatcher is sitting around with a cabinet talking about privatizing oh, was it british telecom which mm. obviously they did and yeah. thatcher saying this is how we fix it we privatize it and someone goes um we already have and she goes we'll, we'll privatize it again <laughs> um, and so it's like so if something isn't working we privatize it twice <laughs> and yeah. it's like exactly they go all right well that's settled then any other business and someone goes i should probably well hope not we've sold it all off <laughs> and that and that's the mindset of the people in power so you have a BBC that are basically trying to do anything to not annoy, and this partly goes back to when Tony Blair was in charge um, mm-hmm. with the Labour Party, and the BBC um, did the story that the dossier that led us to occupy Iraq was bullshit, and then the inquiry and the inquiry lied and said it wasn't bullshit, and then the and the BBC were wrong, and then the Director General had to resign, and the BBC lost a lot of credibility with the government, and the relationship oh, and- with the government got kind of fractured. And then the scandal about the former stars of the BBC erupted as well. Mm-hmm. So then there was a huge trust issue came into it as well. So, of course, opponents of the BBC seized upon this with great great glee and said, you know, how can we trust this institution if it, you know, allows the doings of uh, paedophiles, essentially, to go unchallenged. Yeah, basically, if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Operation U-Tree. U-Tree. And, that, mm-hmm. and that will explain it all. Um, so you have uh, a BBC that are very much on the ropes and are being pummeled. Um, by the way, in some some cases, much deserved, like Operation U-Tree. So you have an organisation that is almost desperate for whatever damage the Conservative Party do to them to be as minimal as possible. So they'll do whatever, it, almost whatever it takes, to try and say to the to the Tories, let us keep the license fee and let us keep things mainly into, let, let's keep our funding uh, methodology the same as it was. Um, you know, let's. So this is why there's been lots of cuts at the BBC. Um, you know, austerity has engulfed all parts of the country. So um, yeah, so with the so with the BBC just, you know, looking to where can we cut shelves? For example, I mean, I don't know if. The international view has got this, but the Doctor Who Confidential behind-the-scenes show, mm-hmm. which yeah. for which what for five six years? Maybe yeah, I think so. Yeah. Six or seven years, they were a um, constant companion show. So over here, at least, you watch the episode, and then on another channel, another BBC channel, you then get to watch the behind-the-scenes of how it was made and interviews with maybe the, the actors and the support, whoever the guest star was that week and whoever wrote the episode, what the idea was. Throughout, it was about forty minutes and. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like deep behind the scenes, and you weren't getting you weren't getting anything that they didn't want you to see. Mm-hmm. But it still was m- mildly interesting. That got it was cut. very interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that got cut as a way. Also, of there was and, uh, the channel. Things... The channel that the channel that Doctor Who Confidential was on. Yeah, that's that, that channel doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also there was a kids' magazine show called Totally Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which was on as well. I mean, that was pretty short-lived. But I mean, it was something that was commissioned. Yeah. But yeah, it, seemed, it seems so strange that, yeah, we're saying all this, but yet they commissioned a Doctor Who spin-off show again. 
Uh, yeah, which is later this year, which I'm guessing. Yeah, will, class. That, class. That will fill the gap in between with no episodes this year on this show. I'm, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, that was. I mean, to be honest, with you, that's another. Again, that's another behind the scenes story I want to know because I think yeah. you two said at the time it was odd. Yeah, it, mm. it made no. It made no sense given how much Doctor Who was struggling with budgets, with the money it was getting, that the BBC would have another show. And I don't know if that was a sop. I don't know if that was connected to Chris Chibnall coming in. They knew something that we didn't. Um, yeah, th- but that- I mean, part of it, I think, as well, was it was it was. I think sort of going back, if we sort of look back a few years, back to season four, when the Doctor Who Doctor Who, I think, really reached saturation point. Mm-hmm. David Tennant was on bloody everything. <laughs> the there was still Doctor Who Confidential. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any more totally Doctor Who, but um, you had Torchwood was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Jane Adventures was on, mm-hmm. and it was just it was it got to a point where I mean we're we're nerds who watch everything, and it was getting you know a bit much to keep up with everything we we wanted to watch between me and Chuck. So you know it was it was kind of re- and I think it got to the point where people were going. Oh, not this lot again. And it was a bit like with it sort of reminded me sort of the rise and fall of Star Trek in the, you know, you had Deep Space Nine on and Voyager and movies in the cinema. And it got to the point where I was like, this is shite. Don't want to watch it. Nemesis died on its ass. You know, Enterprise wasn't very well received. And now there's no Star Trek on telly. Hmm. It kind it reached saturation point. People was, you know, it was so ubiquitous. People just thought it would go on forever and then it stopped. Yeah, I mean, I think I think again to kind of underline the rubric of what we're trying to get at is, in terms of Doctor Who's relation relationship and how it mediates with the BBC, um, is that these like these shows, the show and the and the channel should almost be inseparable and indivisible and have a very healthy relationship, and they've never seemed to. In fact, the best analogy I can put, uh, again, particularly for our international viewers, it won't have just a natural knowledge of the BBC because I don't live with it like we do, is Doctor Who is the Doctor and the BBC are the Time Lords. Mm. Because the Doctor himself is... The Doctor himself comes from... Again, you'll know better than me, but seems to come from a relative... I wouldn't say aristocracy, but a relatively privileged upbringing in in Gallifrey's society. Um, But he's never seemed to like it. And he always seems to be rebelling against the Time Lords and always seems to be in some kind of conflict with them. Yet he will always show up to help them if they need help, and sometimes vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. But they've butted heads quite a lot. Yeah. Um, there are people. There are people in like the Time Lord Council who the Doctor openly loathes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just like I'm sure, and vice versa. So he's part of the Time Lords, but he's not really. Mm. And so he's he's an insider outsider, and Doctor Who seems like an insider outsider show. Mm. Like the BBC, like the BBC will keep it, will keep it around because they they can't afford not to. Like it's a, it's kind of that like cost benefit analysis. I think the other analogy I can use is that of a, a sports sports analogy is that in in team sport where you have a really talented athlete who's a bit of a pain mm-hmm. in the arts, but they're really good and they're really productive for you, and you're just waiting for the product productivity level to drop, and then you can get them out. Mm. But you can't get them out now, right right now. So you, you've got to tolerate them. I mean. You know, like Johnny Manziel would still be Cleveland right now. If, yeah, if he produced anything, if, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as horrible as that is to say, and it's true. as much as we wish it wasn't the case, he would yeah. still be Cleveland now if he was, if he was, they'd let him, they would let him get, get as drunk as he want and be, and, and treat, um, and treat as many women like shit as he wanted if he was actually, if he was actually winning games. Um, not that Doctor Who's a, a troublesome athlete, but that's, but the BBC, I think, the, the people with power, at least look at it and um, think, you know, we just... And that's why, by the way, why um, I think... Um, you've, again, you speak about this a lot on the show, but particularly the Red Tops, the right-wing papers, the Rupert Murdoch-owned papers, mm-hmm. or Paul Dacre, or Richard Desmond. I say, basically, pretty much all of them, because people forget mm-hmm. the British press, yeah. the British newspaper press is really, really right-wing. Even the left-wing papers are kind of in the middle. They're not actually left-wing. Yeah. The British um, written press is incredibly right-wing. And I, I don't know how we keep getting away with at least acknowledging that. But all the time, 
ratings uh, ratings drop worst Doctor Who ratings ever yeah. ratings have fallen to an all time low ratings have fallen to dot 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 and um, X amount you know percentage of percentage of the audience share which is the worst in like X amount of years yeah. um, which does never takes into account Moffat says this all the time it doesn't take into account that a lot not everyone watches the show live anymore I don't always watch the show live yeah I'd say I'd say 60% of it I watch live and the other 40% I catch when I play because I'm doing something else um and and I think the more casual viewers, I I doubt casual viewers even watch it live anymore. And particularly kids, particularly people like my sister's age and younger, mm-hmm. they don't they don't watch TV. Or they'll watch no, television, but they watch it on a television. Yeah, it. I mean they watch YouTube. They don't watch telly anymore. I mean, like I say, my even my dad, you know, who's a retiree, watches nothing live. He watches it all on iPlayer, even though he's at home all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you would though, wouldn't you? If it's like I don't have to watch this now, I can watch it. Yeah, I want to mm. go and sit in bed and watch it. You know, I want to, you know, I want to watch it tomorrow when I'm, when I'm in the mood for it. I want to marathon it at the weekends. I've got this or that to do. There's a million different reasons why people want to do that, mm-hmm. and it seems so strange that with the again the, sort of the weirdness of the BBC, the one hand it gives you all these tools to do all these things, you know, and you say fantastic, cheers very much, and then. You've got this, this background of the BBC saying, well, the ratings are dying, so... But you gave us a tool to not watch it at the same time, so if you cared about ratings, why would you give us that tool? And it's like... Yeah. <laughs> and the reason a lot of the right-wing press say this is because you're trying to discredit Doctor Who, mm-hmm. so which which may um, whip up an atmosphere where the BBC may be more inclined to defund it or to remove it altogether, which then makes the BBC look bad because the BBC just looks one of its temple programmes, which mm-hmm. it, right now it still is. Yeah. Um, whether some people may like it or not, but at the time of talking and for the foreseeable future, it's one of their main programs. So you make the BBC look bad, you make the BBC look less relevant. The government then say, "Why are people having to pay this much for a license fee when, like, you don't even have Doctor Who anymore? What are we yeah. paying for?" Um, so none of these things individually are much to worry about, but in aggregate, um, yeah. the current mm-hmm. government and their ideology, the fact that the BBC are for some good reasons are being pummeled and have lost a bit of credibility. Um, the fact that they are, there's general cuts anyway going on. Um, the fact that you constantly have a press discrediting, not just Doctor Who, by the way, but so many of your programmes, any chance it gets, whether it's just well, yeah, about just, it's just it's, it's part of it. It, it all seems and, to be part, you say, about the right-wingness. It, it's the right-wingness yeah. of our press. Yeah. You know, it's this whole part idea of thing. Yeah. So the part of what's happened to the show, all you put all these things together, and you get what, and you have someone like Peter Capaldi who said this, who you talk about those fans in the wilderness years. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. This yeah. isn't this isn't Matt Smith. This isn't Matt Smith who, I mean, not to say he didn't give a shit about the show. He gave everything to the show when he was there. But he himself admitted he didn't watch it because he was around in the years when it was off. He, I don't think he'd ever seen an episode until he got cast, and then he did his mm-hmm. research. Peter Capaldi saying this. The guy who didn't write a letter into Doctor Who magazine back in 19, whatever fucking year it was, when TV was black and white. Um, <laughs> so, he, so he's saying this with the knowledge of what can happen. He said, what he's saying with this interview is, don't fucking take the show away, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, not, he, he's saying, yeah, um, I don't think the BBC... I, tell you, I think the BBC... No, I think, I think saying, what, he's, yeah, what he's saying is, wake up. Yeah, yeah, otherwise we'll lose it. Otherwise it's going to go and you're going to we're going to be in the same situation we were 20 years ago. It's going to just it's so part of the furniture that it's going to be there forever and then death by a thousand cuts and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Which I think which I'm guessing is I mean that's I think it's part of the re- that I you know it wasn't I didn't maybe do it consciously but I think that's why I immediately when I saw the story I think I linked it to both of you just to look at this shit. Yeah. And yeah. I'm probably guessing your motivation to do a recording on this is is almost just to talk about the weird place Doctor Who existed um, yeah. with the BBC, and it and it just seems so weird because you wouldn't imagine this. Like, um, like at the moment, you I don't know what Channel Empire is on, but that's like maybe one of the most popular shows. Atlantic, I think. I think um, it's got yeah. Atlantic or something like that. No, yeah. no, no, I mean America. Talking about. Oh, oh HBO oh. or something. Then, yeah. Maybe. I don't um, know. Yeah, but I could. You couldn't imagine whatever network Empire is on treating Empire like this. You couldn't imagine their Thursday night Shonda Rhimes. Triple, triple threat when they have, was it? I think it's Scandal. No, Grey's Anatomy Scandal had to go get away with murder on Thursdays. You, mm. It's ABC. ABC would not treat any of the shows like this. Um, like American Idol, whatever show American channel, American Network, American Idol's on. No way. Could you imagine Friends being treated like this by NBC back in the day? When that... <laughs> no. You no. would treat one of your 
marquee properties mm. like this unless there was at least i mean i don't want to make it sound like you know um like the the, the masons and it's a load of load of people in a room twiddling their moustaches but with a massive whiteboard and a spider diagram thinking yes. okay, <laughs> no no it's loads of like, I've, I've, you know what i feel like at the moment i sort of feel like a bit you know when you watch all these sort of disaster movies and they always go to the, see the survivalist who's got like a bunker somewhere and loads of bits of paper and red string connecting all the red strings together. I feel like that's kind of us at the moment. And then <laughs> we're the ones who turn out to be right when everything blows up. Mm. <laughs> it's that, that's the sort of feeling at the moment that no one's listening to us. So you'll see, come back in 20 minutes when things happen in this film. Because, you know, it's yeah. like that yeah, sort because, of thing. Because we're, we're looking at, I mean, we should, again, we should say you know, before, people, yeah, before people start, storing up canned goods and stuff i don't see anything happening to doctor who in the short term no no but we are talking at a position where in maybe like a decade's time 15 years time partly because of who knows what the bbc will be like at that, that point hmm. what happens to the show and you could easily see i mean does this i mean it's never been anywhere else apart from the bbc but could you imagine the show on another channel yeah i can see show, i can see could it sky bought, but could you imagine the show being bought by an american network I think if there's enough, I think if you get to a point where the BBC, say, I think it, like you say, like the NHS and things like that, it's easy political football to kick around. Um, unfortunately, it happens to be that a show that we love is in the middle of this awful kind of political nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see if the BBC got desperate enough, like you say, if the political climate in this country doesn't go back to the left, like if we don't end up doing like we did back in 97, that after years of of right wing, the country has a big sort of reflex and goes way back the other way. Um, I think that it it could be a case of if like we have another great big long Tory government period, which, you know, looks fairly likely, unfortunately, um, I could see the the BBC getting desperate enough to start farming out these concepts. I mean, um, because I should say, because you could argue the first cut of the BBC was the um, Andrew Gilligan thing about the, um, the dossier that's, helped us go to Iraq, which was the dossier had a load of... If you've seen the movie In the Loop, that's basically kind of what happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, happened what happened? It's a very, very none-too-subtle rendering, um, comic rendering of of what happened in terms of British involvement uh, in Iraq. But that was, on, and that was under a Labour government. And let's be clear, Labour did not think highly, you know, like Blair and Alistair Campbell, Spin Doctor and other senior ministers. Yeah, they, they weren't to think kindly towards the BBC, but at no point did we ever think, oh, they're going to they're defund it. They're going to remove the licence fee and turn it into mm. a commercial channel. That, I don't think that was ever really on the table. I don't think even at his most vengeful, Blair was ever like, well, fucking take their money away. Um, where you look at this government and it's like, that's kind of one of their main tenets. Yeah, but mm. it seems so odd to, it feels so odd to sort of be having this whole, this whole discussion thread you know, you never like you were saying about friends. You never have friends and President, you know, Bush as it, or um, Clinton as it was then. You'd never be having these concepts in the same conversation. You'd never be saying, "Oh, ABC is going to get defunded." You know, and it's just it's so because they're so woven together. It seems so weird that we, you know, have to be worried about the political climate in this country. Not only for many reasons, but also because of what's on telly. Yeah, I mean that's, that that is true actually. Like whoever's in Number Ten Downing Street has a potential effect on the BBC and has a potential effect on Doctor Who. It's almost like a weird... It's it's almost... It shouldn't be a consideration. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be a consideration in terms of what you can put on television, but because of the very unique way uh, unique way the BBC is funded. Yeah, exactly. And because Doctor Who, because of the nature of the genre of fiction, is, and it, it is one of its most expensive programmes. It's also one of its most lucrative. So you could mm. argue it, it, it definitely pulls its weight when you take into account international sales and stuff and mm. the money it brings from, uh, you know, from... Uh, well, I think you could, probably, you could probably make an argument that that is maybe its saving grace at the moment. This yeah. amount of mm-hmm. this amount of money, this amount of publicity, this amount of interest. I mean, to say, I mean, maybe only up there with Sherlock. And I think that that is mostly on the Cumberbatch. You know, I think, <laughs> yeah, if, you know, if he wasn't as, you know, hadn't, his star hadn't hadn't risen as much, I don't think Sherlock would be still be on the telly. Oh no, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is the kind of thing we talk about in terms of BBC scheduling, and it's. And it's almost looked at as quite a funny story now because of how it worked out. But Sherlock was set up to fail. Absolutely was. Mm-hmm. The show was put on at the worst time. 
it was not it was at the worst time of year not an agreeable time slot and the reason why i think gates might have already been on twitter the reason why moffat he's not in anymore but why moffat briefly joined twitter was to try and promote sherlock <laughs> it was it was a slightly under i mean i say i don't mean desperate in terms of impugn the guy understandable move if a, a somewhat desperate one at the time yeah i mean i think that unfortunately like because it's all tied up with government and money all this sort of thing unfortunately bbc isn't here to innovate it's not here to make up new cool things for you no. it's here to hang on by its t- hang on by its fingernails and so keep doing the stuff that we know works mm-hmm. and at the moment that picture includes doctor who but like we say as soon as it doesn't it's gone yeah and i think the worry that i have is not so much that you know, if, if the if the rate you know if the ratings really really dropped and the the money re- brings in really really dropped, then I could understand on a business level why you may not want to fund it anymore. But yeah. what you're worried is that it's not going to have a chance. It won't be um you know, you know the patient won't die a natural death. Hmm. No, someone's going to put a someone's, pillow over so, his face. So, and go, yeah, <laughs> yeah or, or someone's just going to slowly like uh, open a gas pipe and poison it yeah. while it's asleep. Um, that's, I think that's the worry that you just you'll just get particularly if um, I mean here's a, I think hopefully not a this scenario that will happen but I think a very possible scenario you have um, the report that comes in from Whittendale assuming he's still culture secretary it's quite scathing of the BBC and says it needs to tighten its belts you know everything else is as a potential sop and I think one of the arguments if one of the arguments that might be put forth is is to have independent executives and when we say independent we basically mean the government get to choose who they are yeah. so it'll be someone who it'll be someone who funds who's a, who's a big funder donated to the conservative party and it's one of their friends they'll put in charge and then you and that's when you get okay we can take money out of there we'll take money out there and there and there um and i'll have a nice little bonus so you can see basically the conservatives putting one of their own in charge mm. and that's you might you know then you turn turn the hourglass over because and because the sand is going to start running out from that moment on and it's a it's a kind of it's one of those things like the nhs you can't really undo it once it's done no <laughs> you know capaldi capaldi knew what he was doing when he said that oh yeah that, you know that he, that was a very deliberate power play of sorts and i think because it helps first i mean not that like tenant was a, a child and neither was smith but they were slightly younger people Capaldi is slightly old, uh, an older guy anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think he, you know, when, I think once you get older, you have you have less fucks to give once you get older anyway. You just can't yes. say about everything. <laughs> yeah, but well, also, it's... he's got also he's got a career. Mm. He had a career before Doctor Who, and he'll have a fine career afterwards. Like Doctor Who launched Tennant, it made Tennant, it made Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. Peter Capaldi was already a made man before yeah. he got got that gig. So he's got less to lose. So he can he can be like, go on, fire me. And if you fire me, I'll go and get an even better job. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what um, part of the, the Guardian article you linked us uh, mentioned at the end. Like, yeah, is the, could this be the, like the first draft of his resignation letter? Because Tennant was And neither would have Smith. It's not that they didn't oh. think it. Maybe they mm. did, maybe they didn't. They never would have said this publicly. No. no. Not, not while they were in the job anyway. Oh, no, exactly. No chance. Capaldi's <laughs> doing this while he's firmly ensconced yeah so i think this is part of the reason why capaldi came out and was pretty i mean he wasn't he wasn't like malcolm tuck with it it wasn't no you know he Though that would have been great i oh, would have been he didn't have his babe <laughs> popping out of his head you know and a swearing every other every third word but he didn't hold back no he was very frank no. in what he said and I, I mean i'm sure these kind of conversations have taken place in meeting rooms in doctor who meeting rooms and on set you know, just they finish doing the read through, and someone's getting a coffee, and they're talking away about something. And I'm sure someone said, "I know, bullshit." We're getting shifted around schedules again. You know, the show'll probably be axed in like five years' time. I'm sure it's a conversation. Um, hmm. And this, this another minor worry, and hopefully, I really want to be proved wrong about this. Um, but the hiring of Chris Chibnall to replace hmm. Stephen Moffat, and Moffat might have actually been the one to make that call. I don't know who made the decision, but. I just think he's such a middle of the road choice. He sort of reminds me of like when you have you watch the thing that the king chooses his next successor and he chooses the idiot son out of the three. Yeah, <laughs> he's such a middle of the road. He's such a, and I really hope to be proved wrong. Mm-hmm. As I say, I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, 
Well, I'm sure Kashim was a very nice guy. I actually had a couple of interviews with him. He seems like a very nice, knowledgeable guy. He's a very competent writer. Mm-hmm. But he's just... He's just like, he's all right. He's, he's not like the he's safe right. choice. Well, I yeah. think... I, well, yeah, I mean, right. I don't know if the show needs safe right now because mm. it, it, you know, it almost might need a firebrand in charge. Mm. Well, I mean, it's all the feeling of you know, we've got a company man as opposed to someone who's going to you know really grab this by the scruff of the neck and kind of yeah, drag it, kicking and screaming. I tell you what, I thought when I don't think he'd been. This is before he's prime minister, I think. But when Obama was elected, yeah, I think Obama was president. Mm-hmm. I don't think Cameron had been elected prime minister, so maybe like a year, a year before. And Obama met Cameron for the first time. And allegedly, after their meeting, Obama turned to one of his aides and went, Jesus, what a lightweight. <laughs> that's kind of what I think. I kind of feel that Chris Chibnall, maybe not a lightweight, that's unfair. He, yeah. He's a well, he's a, he's a well, we've just put a middleweight or a welterweight in the ring, but he's fighting a heavyweight yeah. right now. And we need a heavyweight to fight a heavyweight to keep this battle going. Otherwise, the battle may be over very soon. Yeah. I don't care how far as a welterweight. You put uh, the best welterweight in with the 10th best heavyweight, that fight's not lasting long. Mm. I mean, I think um, we said this on the, the show uh, before when uh, it was announced that Moffat was leaving. We did a show about it. And um, mm. we, we kind of felt that Chibnall was hired purely because there was no, nobody else. I think that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, obviously, the Husbands of River Song was meant to be Moffat's last story as showrunner, but I don't know whether they just couldn't find anybody else, or nobody wanted to. You know, nobody felt ready to take it up, take up well, the mantle. It's interesting. It's interesting you say that because, like in any industry, I'm sure people talk about what's going on in the industry, and I'm sure there are people who work in TV that know stuff that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Just like Emma and Chuck know the odd thing that. I don't know. Hmm. Sometimes when I hear a rumor, I'll go to him and be like, "So, what have you heard?" Um, right. So then, when I get when I get that tweet, this is what happens. Hey, Chuck, do you know anything about this? What? <laughs> this thing that Shane's asked me about. No. All right then. <laughs> don't yeah. know anything. That's what you want. And then I'm like, "Yeah, all right, cheers," and that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm sure there might have been people in TV who. Who were like, so Moffat's leaving. Oh, really? Yeah. So the the job's open now. Yeah, better not. Don't want that. That's 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 a that's a. The know, that's, 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 it's mm-hmm. on life. It's it's on life support basically. No point taking that on right now. There's nothing. You, there's nothing you can do with it. It's on life support. It will go soon, um, and you'll be the one having to make the funeral arrangements. Yeah. Because uh, also as well, even if it's not Chibnall's fault or not whoever's fault, if if the knife falls, mm-hmm. no one wants to be the guy or woman. No, not just guy. No one wants to be the person in charge when it happens. Because yeah. then you're the one who always gets known as you were the cap. You were basically the captain of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Even if it weren't your fault, you'll always be tagged with that. Like that could actually, because no matter what, Doctor Who is still a prominent show. Whether you mm-hmm. like it, or you don't like it, everyone knows it. So that can not just can help a career. That can hurt a career if it doesn't go well. You you look at, I mean, the careers of. Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck aren't dead, but they weren't helped by Batman. You know, that's that thing where Henry Cavill <laughs> went on the streets about, you know, they don't recognise with the glasses on. I was like, that's because no one gives a fuck about you, mate. No one, no, no one gives a shit about your Superman. That's why no one recognises you with your glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you proved a point, but not the one you were trying to prove. Exactly. You proved the point you're a shit Superman. <laughs> no, we were. No, I mean, we didn't get to that. that I don't. I'm not blaming him for that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Or not. Not much. I'm not really blaming him for that. There were. No, much. it's not his fault. No. no but no. I mean, in this thing of like, as a hospital you know, pass, we, we, that's it's um, it's that thing of like when, when we talk about Sylvester McCoy, it's like it wasn't his fault, and we sort of no. the same sort of rationale. Yeah, but he it's, everything was collapsing around it, but he was great. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but and and but you're still like put it like this on um almost part of your Doctor Who bio, as it were, or if someone does a blog post listing the Doctors, you're always going to put on Sylvester McCoy's he was the one there when the show got cancelled. <laughs> the show got cancelled when he was the Doctor. Even though those two things aren't necessarily related. They're not, it's not incorrect. But well, it's that, like that thing of, like, if you do, if you go to a party and you get too pissed and blow chunks and pass out, <laughs> you're always going to be the one who goes to parties and throws up and passes out. You know, happen mm-hmm. once. Yeah. 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 And everyone will bring it up. Mm-hmm. Everyone will bring up every time. Yeah, every time. So it's just a case of, I think it's almost yeah, like you said, where the 
the conspiracy theorists um, saying it now ahead of time. But it is a case of, yeah, you know, to maybe the more casual fans, don't be shocked if it happens and almost enjoy what you have with it. Yes. Because because um, as much as we all love the show and we'd all rather exist than not, it's it constantly. I mean, that's the thing. The show has always, like you've you've said already, from its first episode, has existed on this really really precarious ridge, mm. and you just think if it gets pushed the wrong way, it's going to topple over. And this isn't a show that's just doing okay. This isn't this. I mean, there are you mentioned already, uh, Mike, that genre fiction is what we do. And there is a long line of shows since Doctor Who came back. Doctor Who kind of kickstarted a brief revival mm-hmm. in shows like this on British TV, British-made genre fiction. It was like yeah. awesome, but well, none of these stuff, shows, yeah. none of these shows got a chance to actually, you know, um, properly um, breathe and got a chance to grow legs because it would just get cut off at the knees before it got um, a chance to grow. So, with the exception of Being Human, which I think got five series, mm-hmm. um, In the Flesh got one. Yeah. No, sorry, In the Flesh got two and then got cancelled. Yeah. Uh, the Fades got one. The Fades got one, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. And it yeah. got cancelled before the last episode even aired. And then yeah. the week after, it actually won a BAFTA, which was aired on BBC television, which was all the more hilarious. Um, yeah. Utopia <laughs> got two series and got cancelled. Mm-hmm. That was show... Channel 4, though, to be fair. That was Channel yeah. 4. I mean, I'm commenting on Britain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. saying that Britain don't do this kind of programming. Um like Merlin, that you was know, I, what, three series, wasn't it? Two or three. I, yeah. I didn't watch it. I didn't no. watch it, to be honest. There's a show on at the minute called on Channel 4 called The Aliens, um, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know if it'll get aired in uh, America. Okay. It's okay. I'm not, I don't like a lot of the casting, but a really good idea. It's a really clever idea about an alien invasion. A very different idea to what we're normally used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not high budget. There's no effects. There's no special effects. Um, which I'm sure there were probably effects in the initial draft, and then he saw the the creators of the budget and was like, "Okay, I need to make some rewrites." Um, but I'm looking at that and just like, "Is that even going to get a second series? And if it mm-hmm. does, will it get fired? You um, know what it reminds me of, though. There was a, this is a few years ago. I'm sorry about my sketchy memory. I don't remember a lot about the show, particularly not what it was called. But there was like a cop show on, mm-hmm. and it was it was constructed like a mystery, and but. It had very clear, to me anyway, sci-fi elements. It had things about, you know, sort of looping time travel and being able, like, seeing something on a camera that was from sort of things before they happen and things like this. And I remember that they had the star of the show on, again, whose name escapes me, on a, on a, the thing that stuck with me was that they, it was like the BBC and they're interviewing her and said, you know, so is this a sci-fi show? I was like, no, 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 absolutely adamantly not. It's a cop show. Hmm. And they were doing Almost. everything they could to, yeah. to distance it from the, this sci-fi tag, yeah. even though it's clearly sci-fi based. And and what's the most popular movies right now? The only thing that consistently makes money that is almost a, a lock to make money, no matter almost no matter what, with the odd exception. Superhero movies. Yeah, I mean exactly. I mean, the doc- I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, I've I've long thought this, and I've re- I've you know put it in um, or not print, but on. Internet print, if you will. The Doctor is the Doctor is a superhero. He's he's Britain's only real superhero, and shows of you know shows um, that kind of of that of that family. Yeah, there is still a thing of even as popular as they are over here now. There's still a thing of almost it has to be it has to be a massive hit or it's so boom or bust, isn't it? Yeah, or we're not going to give it a pro we're not going to give it a proper chance. What's happening to these shows I listed that got cancelled? I think before their time is what would have happened to Doctor Who if it had been created now. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing Doctor Who was going for it was almost its legacy. Yeah. And it should, and I I almost, I mean, I'm, of course I'm saying this because I'm a massive fan, but I almost think Doctor Who is one of those programs that should have almost protected status. You know, we have, <laughs> I don't know if they have this in other countries, probably not because our country's so old, but, you know, we have listed buildings mm-hmm. and we have certain buildings you cannot make alterations, you can only make certain alterations to. <laughs> Yeah. To protect the heritage, like all the heritage. <laughs> it reminds me of watching a thing on. I was like watching a cooking show, and they went to a restaurant. They were like, "This building's ninety years old." In America, I was like, "My house is one hundred and fifty years old." Please try and impress me <laughs> Well, you know no, I mean? it's, it's, it's it's exactly what Eddie Izzard said in his dress to kill. Uh, he said, "I've seen programs where this, we've restored this building to how it was over fifty years ago," and people go, "No, surely not. No, nobody was alive then." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I almost think like there are certain things like when you when I think of the BBC's almost 
institutions in terms mm. of programming. I don't just mean TV programming. I think the news, and you think the world at one, and you think Gardner's Question Time and Women's Hour and Test Match Special, maybe Mastermind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, East, EastEnders. Mm-hmm. There are certain shows that I almost think should have some kind of protected status. Not that you can't, they're, they're invincible or invulnerable because then there's no accountability mm-hmm. um, in terms of the creation of it. But that you can't just say, right, you're out the door. Because I do think Doctor Who is, and I almost kind of think, what more does Doctor Who have to do to prove that it's almost worthy of this, for want of a better phrase, special treatment? It shouldn't have, at this point, and I always do love, we see the Comic-Con videos. Mm-hmm. And you just see the sheer rhapsodic reception they get. Yeah. And almost <laughs> no in that crowd from Britain. Yeah. Well, bit... yeah, not just Comic Con. Yeah. I mean, I remember when um, they had the Series 8 World Tour and you had like footage of Peter Capelli stepping out of the, the TARDIS prop in Mexico. And everything was going fucking mental in South Korea and everything. You know, so it's like, honestly, you're right. I mean, it's like, what does Doctor ha- do have to do? to like get some respect yeah because you kind of think that it's earned it yeah um yeah it's it's this isn't a show that's doing okay it has some has some critical acclaim and does all right in the ratings and has a cult audience elsewhere i mean i kind of as well when i saw about the not even just for sci-fi fans when uh once they rebooted the daily show with trevor noah there was a joke i didn't think it was a very funny joke um about Hillary Clinton, why I think they compared it to a Dalek. Was it Hillary? It's someone. Maybe it wasn't Hillary. I hope it wasn't Hillary. But someone. Was they, Hillary. They, yeah, it might have been. But they, they made a comparison about this politician. I think it was Hillary. And they just put up a picture of a Dalek. And that was it. Hmm. And that was the punchline. It was a visual punchline. And the audience got it. I watched that. And it's like, oh, that's, that's the audience. No, I mean, not raucous laughter. But, oh, no, the audience are laughing. They understand the reference. They get the joke. Not everyone in this show is going to be a, a fan. But everyone knows it. Yeah. Um, so you do kind of wonder what on earth would Doctor Who have to do for the BBC to be like, you know, almost like, oh, you know, you're all right. Yeah, you know, you, you, you can stay. Um, because it is almost having to constantly prove itself or seemingly prove it. Like prove itself, but obviously it can't. It will ne- you know, mm-hmm. what, it, what it does will never be actually sufficient. Um, yeah. Sufficient in the minds of the heads of the BBC. And the worry is just... If the Conservatives... I mean, this is the main problem. If the Conservatives get their own per- man in there, and I say man because it's almost definitely going to be a man, <laughs> um, in there, in charge, or with influence, then the show's in serious... I mean, that, that's not the only show in trouble, by the way, but then that show is in trouble. Mm-hmm. That show's in serious trouble because that's an easy one to get... You can easily justify getting rid of it because of its price and because it's not cheap. Um, it, you know, it's not what is it about a million an episode last I heard, maybe more now. It's probably more, it's got to be more than that. Mm-hmm. I think I heard I heard the million a show at season f- series four, so you would have thought inflation's got to it at least. Yeah, yes, over, over a million an episode, 13 episodes. I mean, I think there's a lot of people at the BBC that once it, you know it was announced that oh, we're only making one episode this year, that a lot of people kind of breathe a sigh of relief and Sphinx has loosened a little bit. <laughs> and we're like, oh, that's that's X amount of millions saved then this year, rather than uh, maybe us fans thinking, what one episode? That's all we're getting this year. Um, that's it. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, I would hazard a guess. I think the same assumption, say, class will be cheaper to make. Yeah, and one. That's part of the reason, maybe why they just talk thinking about why they commission class. Maybe that's the reason. Mm. If that takes off, and I hope it does. But it might actually be, in, in a way, harmful to Doctor Who if it does. Um, I do wonder sometimes if our sci-fi is harder to sell because it's inherently miserable. Hmm. Whereas American sci-fi is ultimately optimistic, humanity eventually wins, or some fragment of. Whereas usually in ours, everyone dies. Yeah. Well, the dies screaming. Yeah, look at you, Doctor Blake Seven. Well, Blake Seven, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think Doctor Who is generally quite optimistic. Yeah, but that, yeah. is that why it succeeded amongst everything else? Oh, um, I would be inclined to think that's definitely a factor. Maybe not the singular factor, but maybe that is definitely a factor And in terms of maybe selling it abroad. Because when I think back to those other shows that we've already listed, none of them are tremendously upbeat. And because no. they're made in Britain, they tend to be made in 
overcast with overcast uh, backdrops. Yeah, but it's it's not you know it's it's, it's all of our sci-fi going back way back when we we've been watching Out of the Unknown, um, which was made about early Doctor Fred's, Who time. I mean, Fred's in science fiction, but um, it kind of comes under that rubric. Fred's is a great example. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you want to be if you want to be terrified, I mean, literally, I I think I slept with the lights on for a week after Fred's. <laughs> <threats. laughs> Jeez. <clears throat> so yeah so essentially we're all and in a way it's maybe quite fitting that we're talking about british science fiction being slightly gloomy and pessimistic because we're inclined to feel the same uh, about the show and for no reason so that's the thing i could accept doctor who as well being taken off air if it just gets really shit hmm yeah but, um I mean, this general standard of the show, I didn't like the last couple of series as much as you two did, but I didn't hate it. Um, it's still more than good enough to justify my, you know, me investing time in it. So it's not as if the show's dipped. Like, it's, it's not as if, oh, this is, just, this is just shit now. And it is, you know, and to think what other programs we could make if Doctor Who wasn't taking up all these funding. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it is justifying the admittedly large amount of money of the license fee it takes up. Like, I am perfectly happy pay for it hmm. yeah so i think um i think we probably um left everyone miserable enough shall we yeah. uh yeah let's, shall we wrap uh, it up there? yeah let's go <laughs> so um so you can email us at oh, as always at greater show at we do have our facebook page facebook.com slash greater show podcast and uh, we also have our twitter account at greater show pod um do check out all the other great simply syndicated shows of course the greatest event in sport and history like uh, mr shane thomas is a part of also we do have simply everything we do need your support as well uh, simply everything is our uh, premium subscription service where you can listen to simply everything that simply syndicated has ever produced six pounds a month and you can uh, get access to that uh, we do also have our patreon for three dollars a month which is about two pound fifty or so um, you can uh, also support us that way and you will get some simply everything uh, exclusive content through that and we do also have a paypal uh, account um, there's a link at the bottom of the site and merch Yes, buy things and mugs and yeah. clothes and yeah. mouse rather than, just, rather than just giving it, we'll, we'll give you something for your money. In return, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and with that being said, thank you very much, Shane. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me in. Uh, thank you very much, Emma. Oh, no problem, mate. Thank you. And we shall talk to you another time.